going to jump into Galatians 5 and study the fruits of the Spirit. Anybody like fruit? Amen. What do you have to, five to seven servings of fruit a day? Is that what they say? Well, we're going to see about the fruit of the Spirit and why it's important to us. I'm going to be reading Galatians 5, verse 16 through 26. Lord willing, we're going to be in here a long, a long stretch and explore this topic and explore Galatians 5. Let's thank God for the word, and then I'm going to read it to you. Father, I thank you today for the word, that worship and the word can work together, that our hearts are prepared as we presented ourselves to you as living sacrifices, and now our spirits are ready to receive the word, Lord God, through the preaching of it and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Make Galatians 5 come alive to us, Lord, and help us to see every morsel that you've tucked in there for those who follow you and seek after you with all their hearts. Holy Spirit, make the word come alive to us today, and let us not be just hearers, but doers, that what we learn on Sunday, we could do on Monday. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh or the desires of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit as well. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. There's a lot packed into those verses in Galatians 5, and by God's grace, we're going to unpack them and enjoy each part. But Basically, Galatians 5 is giving us the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirits. Two different lists. Did you hear the works of the flesh? I mean, when you hear these things, it, it kind of has to bring back some memories because none of us were born saved. I mean, listen to what it says here. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, with hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing. Come on, that sounded like a Friday night to some of you. <laughs> All right, these were the things that we got saved from, amen? And when you hear a list like that, you can't help but cringe being on the other side of the cross going, wow, that, that's what used to define me. That's what my life used to be about, but now in Christ, I'm a new creation. I'm a different creature. I'm delivered from the flesh. 
So we have the works of the flesh, and it's quite the list. And if we get to it and the Spirit leads, we're going to unpack some of those things. Although we don't need much instruction on that because those things come naturally to the flesh. Do you ever notice no one had to teach you how to sin? No one had to teach you how to be selfish or judgmental or excessive. No one had to tell you, you need to drink more. Your flesh screams out. One drink's good, two drink's better. Drink the whole bottle, get another bottle. Excess. So we don't need to be trained to do those things, but we need to learn to walk in the Spirit. We need to do the things that produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's a learned behavior. Now, I want to point out something about these two lists as I introduce the text here. These two lists detail behaviors, and those behaviors we looked at are diametrically opposed to each other. In fact, they're literally at war within us, according to Galatians 5.17. Did you realize, as a Christian, there's a war going on inside your heart? Listen, Paul defines it here in verse 17. He says, for the desires of the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There's a war going on. Look what it says. Those are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. So, you know, this tug of war, this internal conflict, you know, the proverbial angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other is not just a, you know, a, a little kind of caricature of the way life is. No, it's really an accurate description of the internal struggle that goes on in the life of every believer. Now, if you're out there today saying, man, if people knew what I struggled with, if people knew what, you know, things I, I desire to do, if people knew the things I thought, listen, all of us have those struggles. And people who pretend they don't are just fakers and liars, amen. Paul's transparent to the point where he says, the things I wish I do, I cannot do. And the things I hate, that which I do. Wow, what is that? That's a picture of the fight, the war, the, the conflict that's going on within each of us. We want to love Jesus. We want to please God. We want to live a holy life that glorifies the Lord. Yet our flesh just lusts and desires and, and, and has appetites for things that are no good for us. For these desires are in conflict with each other. The spirit against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. Now, let me give you the ultimate goal of the flesh. When, when I speak about flesh, it's just our human nature. Uh, the Bible talks about the flesh to describe, you know, all those desires that we want to do that are not pleasing to God, that are unholy. The list that we looked at is not an exhaustive list. There's more. If there was one thing that you like to do that's not on there, don't, don't get excited because... <laughs> It says, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. That's the disclaimer. Oh, mine wasn't on the list. I'm good. No, it just wasn't invented when this was written. So this internal struggle that's going on, we have to understand the goal of the flesh, that sinful nature, it wants to keep us from pleasing God. It wants to keep us from walking in holiness. It wants to keep us from living in God's favor. When we give ourselves over to sin, when we do things that we know the Bible says are sin, and we just do them, we put a lid over our lives so that the blessing of God can't touch us. 
God doesn't want to ruin your fun. God doesn't want to make you a puppet or a robot or a soldier. He wants to make you a child that can receive the fullness of his blessing. And that only comes when we embrace holiness and when we begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit instead of giving ourselves over to the work of the flesh. So the flesh wants to keep us from God. The flesh wants to keep us in sin. The flesh wants us from having, it wants to keep us from having God's best in our lives. Listen to me, if you're out there this morning and you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you think, man, I don't want to give up my life, let me just tell you something. You haven't started living yet till you bow the knee to Jesus and invite him into your heart to be your Savior and Lord. The things you think are fun, the things that are on that list, the things that used to be a typical Friday night, they are empty. They will rob you. They will steal your innocence, steal your joy. They will separate you from God. And you haven't started living yet till you said yes to Jesus. So the flesh has a goal and wants to keep us from God and from God's best. The reality is it's not easy for us to walk in the spirit. Verse 16, but I say, walk in the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. There's our solution for the dilemma of the internal struggle that we lean towards the flesh. And we say, well, what's the solution for that? You know, Paul even struggled. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He, he had struggles. He said, I do the things I hate and the things I want to do, I cannot do. And so uh, what's the remedy? It's walking in the spirit. Why? So we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. There's the answer to our problem, to the problem of the flesh. And it's not easy to walk in the spirit. And here's why. Because all of us started off practicing the deeds of the flesh and we're used to it. It's literally our default setting. Now for the holier than thou person out there who thinks they were born saved, you weren't. We were all born lost. We were all born in original sin. When the, when the doctor took us out, slapped us on the back, and we sucked in our first breath, we had a fallen nature. And we proved it by keeping our parents up every night for two years. But all of us were born needing to be redeemed. All of us were born in sin. So our default setting is the flesh. Some of us came to Christ when we were children, some when we were teenagers, some when we were older. Some people come really late in life. To, to what's the situation then? You've got a, a pattern of decades of walking in the flesh because you can't be spiritual, you can't walk in the spirit, you can't be holy without a relationship with Jesus Christ. So our default setting is the flesh. And anyone who tells you different is not biblical. So we're, we're, that's where we have our, you know, we have an affinity for those things. So it's difficult to walk in the spirit. It's like a fish breathing out of water. Yet through Christ, it's not impossible that we, once in that environment, now in a different environment, we went from the water to the land, amen, from the darkness to the light. Yeah. Woo! And now we can function in that environment only by the spirit of God. You can't function in the, the environment of heaven in the flesh. Well, I'm going to do the flesh. Well, you know, the Bible says that we have to have faith and we have to be delivered. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And when we're in the flesh, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because the flesh just wants to please itself. 
Your flesh will not submit to the desire. Uh, flesh, I want you to please God, can't do it. It's a spirit-to-spirit connection. So we've got to learn to put aside the flesh, to crucify it, as the Bible says, every day. How many wake up and it's time to go to the cross? Come on, you wake up, ain't feeling too holy today. Time to go to the cross, time to crucify the flesh, time to submit myself to God, time to say, I'm not going to do my thing, God, I'm going to do your thing, amen. This sounds good and it preaches nice, but it's not easy. It's difficult and all of us struggle. We were born with a fallen nature. We are prone to walking in the flesh. We need to learn to crucify uh, our desires and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us into people that produce fruits. Remember, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. You and I can't produce the fruit of the Spirit by the natural, normal things of the flesh. There has to be a shift that takes place in us. Now, because it's difficult to walk in the flesh, we need to examine the indicators of whether we're in the flesh or the spirit. Have you ever thought sometime, how am I doing? You ever say to God, how am I doing? It's a healthy thing to do. You know, it's healthy to say to your spouse, how am I doing? Am I as a terrific husband as I think I am? Am I as a wonderful wife as I think I am? You know, so, some of us are thinking, I will never ask that question. <laughs> you know, because it opens us up to scrutiny. And the thing is, we need to come before the Lord and allow him to search us and examine us. Like David said, search me and know me and try me, see if there be any wicked way in me. So we can discern whether we're walking in the flesh or the spirit. Because I want to say it's sad that a lot of us in church wind up living in the flesh and we think we're walking in the spirit. And the, the only proof that we're walking in the Spirit is that we're producing the fruit of the Spirit. Now, when we look at those two lists, if you look at the first list and go, that's Monday. That's Tuesday. Wednesday, I straighten up a little bit for church. And, and if we're back and forth, if we're like, you know, oh, this is, you know, I, I'm having outbursts of anger. I'm jealous. I'm, you know, I'm not loving. I'm selfish. All of these things, all of us struggle with that. But what's the output of our lives? Are, are, we, are we exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit here? Are you know, we loving? Are we lovers? Do we have the joy of the Lord? Do we have peace? Or are we always anxious and upset? Are we patient or are we impatient? You know, are we standing in front of the, the microwave just tapping our watch or at the traffic light beeping the horn because the light just turned green a millisecond ago? Are we kind? Are we good? Are we faithful? Do we have self-control? You know, self-control is an interesting thing. The, the exhibiting of self-control shows maturity, shows character. You know, if you don't have self-control, someone can put a chocolate cake in front of you and it's gone. You know, here's some cookies for your family, Pastor Rick. They ain't never getting them. You, when you give them to me, Kim better be there. You know, self-control, all of these things. And we need to look at our lives and examine them and see, are we producing the fruit of the Spirit? Because the fruit of the Spirit is the proof 
that we are actually walking in the spirit. It is the proof that we're actually in relationship with God because without that connection, we can't produce the fruit. Now, there's this war going on, the flesh and the spirit, and Matthew 7, 21 kind of articulates a very important truth here. As Jesus was speaking, he said this in Matthew 7, 21, and it's, it's a powerful scripture. It should be a little unsettling for us when we think of the implications. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What's he saying? He's not everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Not everyone who says they follow me actually follows me. That's an interesting point for him to make. He says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many, say many. Many "Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And in your name perform many miracles. And I will declare to them, I never knew you Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. So the implication here when we're discerning spirit and flesh is this. You know, we can preach. We can give words of prophecy. Look at, look at the implications of that. Uh, we prophesied in your name. That's a spiritual gift, isn't it? How many would think if you, if you can prophesy, what I'm doing right now is prophetic. I'm preaching the word of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. How many think the preacher should be saved, right? Only like a small margin of you. <laughs> but it's like, well, surely, you know, he's got to, everything's got to be right with him. Listen to the way he uses his gift. You can prophesy. You can give words. You can, you know, cast out devils, it says, and do many great works in your name. And you can have all that spiritual output and still not be filled with or walking in the spirit. Because Jesus said, you did all those things. He didn't say, you didn't do all those things. He said, I never knew you. Wow. So it's not about spiritual activity. It's not about spiritual achievements. It's not about religious things. It's not about works. It's about relationship. And when we're in relationship with him, we are filled with his spirit, and we will produce the fruit of the spirit in our lives. Galatians 5.22 tells us there are nine fruits of the Spirit. Let's examine each of them and understand them so that we can live them. I mean, it's hard to live something that we don't fully understand. Let's just once again look quickly at the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. The first one is love. It says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So there are the nine fruits of the Spirit, and it shouldn't come to us as a surprise that love is number one. I said, love is number one. We've got to have love as a believer. If you say you're a Christian and you are not a lover or filled with love or have love for God, love for the church, love for the lost, then something is wrong. Have you ever met those people, I'm a Christian, and they look like they've been baptized in lemon juice? judgmental, always upset, complaining about everything. Where's the love? 
Love has got to be there. And, and the proof that we're filled with the Spirit is that we're producing the fruit of the Spirit, and that's love, number one. So it shouldn't shock us that love is number one, especially since the Bible says that the main attribute that defines God is love. Listen to what, you know, John says, 1 John says, God is love. Think about that, that God would allow his essence to be captured in one attribute. God is so many things. His attributes are diverse. He's justice, he's goodness, he's faithfulness, he's long-suffering, but he chooses to define himself as love. God is love. Wow, to make that statement with the implications are incredible. You would think if it's love, then his people, his children, his spiritual offspring should be lovers as well. So love is number one, and love is the first thing we need. And without love, there's no need to even try to go to number two because you can do the rest of the nine, and if you don't have love, we're going to see that it's, it's worthless. It's, it's not producing anything eternal. It's depart from me. I never knew you. Wow. Two truths about love we should know. Number one, without love, we really don't know God. 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Could that be any clearer? Thank you, John, for saying it like it is. Amen. God is love. If you, if you say you're connected to God but you don't love, you're not telling the truth. Something's wrong. So we can't really even begin to know God without feeling the love of God, receiving the love of God, understanding the great love that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. It's it's the first step that gets us into the kingdom. People say, oh, I love God, but I can't stand people. (laughs) Oh, I love God, but you know what? Christians rub me the wrong way. I love God, it's just humanity I can't deal with. Well, 1 John 4.20 has something to say about that kind of rhetoric. It says, for if someone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother and his sister whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Interesting. Oh, I love God, I just can't stand God's people, God's church, God's children, the lost. Well, the word is saying, you, you're a liar when you say you love God, but you hate people. When you say you love God, but you, you're not a lover. You're not a lover of the lost. Jesus is the lover of our souls. You and I should be madly in love with Jesus. And we should be desperately in love with reaching the lost. The second thing I want you to know about love is this. Without love, we are no one of spiritual significance. The person who considers themselves to be a spiritual giant because they have great knowledge and can quote scripture and understand theology, they give money to the church or to the poor, or they have a list of religious achievements that they can show you, better read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. 
If I speak with the tongues of man and of angels and do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, there it is again, giving words, using the gift of speech to bring the word of the Lord and know all the mysteries and all knowledge. Look at that. And if I have the faith to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions to the poor and surrender my body so that I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. Those who portray spirituality or to be spiritual giants or to have some sort of connection to God and they are not loving, there again, it's something that needs to strip us down to the point where we examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. As Paul said, examine yourself to see if you really are in the faith. Wouldn't it be better to do that than to hear Jesus say, I never knew you? Wow. Without love, we're no one of spiritual significance. Without love, we are just not impressive in the sight of God. God, did you see all the things I did? Did you see all the works I did in your name? I cast out devils, I, I, I used spiritual authority, I used my gifts, I prophesied, I preached but it's the knowing him, the knowing him that saves us. And what proves that we know him is that we're filled with his spirit and that we produce the fruit of the spirit. So we've got to be lovers. Now, to be loving in a biblical sense, we need to understand a few Greek words. The scripture, understand, this, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. I don't care what translation you have. Some Bible translations are horrible. Some are fairly accurate. All of them have translational issues. Unless you're studying the word of God in the Hebrew or the Greek, you got to be careful. You say, well, I don't speak Hebrew or Greek. Well, there's tools to help us with that. We, we can have lexicons and concordances and all these things that help us to explore the Greek and the Hebrew. Uh, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to put a, you know, a weight on anyone, but I'm just saying we've got to look at these words and see what their meaning is, and I'll tell you why. Because Greek is very expressive, and sometimes the implication of a word translated in English is, is fairly one-dimensional, yet the Greek is multifaceted. So we're going to look at four Greek words today, and you've heard some of these before, and they're the four words used to describe love in a biblical sense. Number one, there's agape, agape love. Then phileo, storge, and eros. Let's look first at agape. How many have heard the word agape before? Amen. Agape is a Greek word, and it is a descriptive word that gives us an indication of what love is. And agape love is the, agape is the most used word in Scripture translated love. It is the highest manifestation of love. As by nature itself, it is unconditional and it is sacrificial. How many understand there's, you can say I love ice cream and that's one thing. But you can say I love Jesus and that's another thing. You can say, I love chocolate cake and NASCAR. Just thought I'd throw that in there for the, for the rednecks. But when I say, I love my wife, that's got to mean something different. I, I got to love my wife more than chocolate cake. Well, it seems like the older you get, sometimes you seem, both of you seem to love cake more. That's why we eat cake in bed, right? So agape, back to agape. 
We're going to get to Eros. Hang in there. But agape, it's unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's, it's, it's a type of divine love because it comes from God. And it is exactly how God loves us. God loves us with an agape love a sacrificial, unconditional love. The cross proves that it was agape love, that he gave his only begotten son to die, that he didn't spare his only son that he would save us. This type of love is divine. And agape is a completely sold-out love. Listen, listen to this. It is not dependent on our acceptance of it, our performance, or our reciprocation of it. Think about that. God loves us even before we loved him. So we didn't have to accept God's love for God's love to work. Do you know God loved us while we were yet sinners? Christ died for us, amen. God loves every lost person that shakes their fist at heaven and goes, I don't even believe you exist. God loves people who are in hell right now. He didn't say, I don't love them anymore. No, he gives that unconditional love. Why? Because it's not based on our accepting it. Well, if you accept me, I'll love you. No, God loves us before we accept him. Agape love is not based on performance. Well, if you do the right things and say the right words and don't ever think a bad thought, then maybe if your performance is good enough, I'll love you. That's not God's love. God loved us at our worst moment. God loved us at our lowest moment. God loved us in our darkest sin. He loved us then. Because it's not based on performance. And realize when you come to him and he saves you and he forgives you, he doesn't say, okay, now perform for me and, you know, I'll bless you. Do the right things and I'll, I'll let you use your gifts. No, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God doesn't say perform and, you know, uh, if you make me happy, you can be one of my favorites. No, that's not agape. Agape is not based on performance. It's not based on us accepting it, and it's not even based on our reciprocation of it. How many times, you know, people will love you if you do, if you love them back or if you do what they love for them? And human love is a lot like that. Well, you know, I love you and you love me and we both meet each other's needs, but God says, no, I love you with an agape love that's not even based on your performance or your accomplishments. Uh, and you don't even have to return it to me. You don't even have to reciprocate it to me. I love you and I'll never stop loving you because it's agape love. Wow. How many can say we need a lot more agape in the world? Amen. We need a lot more unconditional, sacrificial love. I need a lot more of that in my life. And I hope you can see that you do too. Agape love is impossible to exhibit without God. Why? Because it only exists because of God, because it emanates from God. It's who God is. People say, well, I'm loving, and I love this, and I love that, and they don't know Jesus. They really don't know what love is yet. You and I can't experience love until we accept the love of God in Jesus Christ. Agape love. Well, I love everyone with an agape love. Not if you're in Christ, you don't. I can take the time to prove to you that everything we do and say it's an act of love can really be traced back to our own selfishness, our own desires, and our own desire to, you know, lift ourselves up. When you get mature enough in the Lord to, to examine your own motives and to realize I am thoroughly rotten beyond redemption by myself, so that's an uncomfortable thought for some of you to think. 
but I came to that conclusion a long time ago. Even when I'm doing good the best I can, there's usually selfishness and ulterior motives and flesh woven into it. But in Christ, I can allow the agape to flow through me in a way that touches others that is impossible for me to do without Jesus Christ. So agape love, there it is, number one. Love is number one. And that unconditional love is something that we need to experience from God and we need to be able to allow God to flow it through us. Number two, the second Greek word that defines love in Scripture is phileo. Phileo is the second most common word used for love in Scripture. Second only to agape. Phileo love, it's a brotherly affection, a brotherly love that is given freely by choice. So if I love you with a brotherly love, I've given that love to you by choice and it comes through relationship and you know, you know, we love each other, we're, we're buddies, we're pals, we're boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, you know, you, you got this love connection between the same sex. It's not a sexual love, but it is a, a, a brotherly bond. Now, understand phileo is, unlike agape that's unconditional and sacrificial and not based on performance, Phileo is pretty much just the opposite. It's a voluntary, non-obligatory love that is dependent on a person's feelings. Say feelings. Now, feelings are not wrong. God gave us feelings. But we don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith. So understand, this phileo love has a, a, an emotional component that is based on feelings. Now, how many notice feelings change? Sometimes, you know, you could, be, you could have a friend, a close friend, and you're knit together. We're going to talk about an Old Testament example of that. But something can happen in your relationship that the feelings change, and all of a sudden that phileo can be rescinded. I'll give you an example that probably most of us can relate to. If you were in high school and you were, you know, you had two people, whether, you know, two guys and they were best buddies and then a girl got in between them. And one jumped over the other guy and stole, you know, the person's girlfriend. It's quiet now. Come on, and it happens just the opposite way too. Two girls, they're the best. Oh, we're sisters forever. And then all of a sudden, you know, Ken gets in the middle. And now that phileo is rescinded. We've all seen it before. And sometimes those relationships are never repaired. They're, they're my age. They're 54 years old going to the class reunion. You stole my girlfriend. You, they're out back. Phileo. Unlike agape, it's given freely by choice. It's based on emotions. I love you. You're my buddy. You're my boy. You know, we're connected. But those emotions can change, and that love can be rescinded. We see a beautiful example of phileo in the Old Testament sense uh, seen in the relationship between David and Jonathan. Do you know David and Jonathan loved each other? They were, they, they were so close. They're closer than brothers. They just they had this brotherly love for each other that was just an amazing example. Now realize, Jonathan loved David at his own expense. And here's what I mean about that. Jonathan was next in line for the throne, and Saul was his father. And David was anointed by God to jump over Saul's line and replace him, and Jonathan knew it. 
Jonathan should have looked in the flesh at David as an adversary, but because he was not a fleshly man, but a spiritual man, he was able to receive him as a brother to the point where these guys, they were just so tight. They were battle buddies. They fought together. They, they bled together. They laughed together. They ate together. They, they had this beautiful bond of, of a phileo kind of love that's an example to us all. And even when things went south and things went sour and Saul rose up, Jonathan never rescinded that phileo and think, I got to think about myself, my own future. I got to put that above David. No, he, he kept that relationship intact and God blessed him for it. Now, phileo can be rescinded, so realize that it's an emotional base love. Agape is not based on anything. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. Let's look at storge today. S-T-O-R-G-E, storge. Storge is a familial parental type of love. If you have children, you understand sorge. If you never had children, it's a little harder to understand. But the minute you hold your, your child when they're born in your hands, the minute I held Riley, the minute I held Austin, that paternal, familial love just welled up in me and has never gone away. Storge is about familial love. It's the love that you have between your, your siblings and your parents and your cousins and your family. Do you know you could not see relatives and cousins and aunts and uncles for years, but yet you still have a bond with them? I mean, even if they're not great people, you love them, you're concerned for them, you want to see them saved. What is that? That's storge. That's a love that comes from God that's in the family. God put it in there to be the super glue that keeps families together because families are important. Families are the building block of society. Without strong families, we don't have strong communities and we don't have strong countries and we don't have strong nations. Do you understand? Family love is an important love. Paternal love is an important love. When I see parents that don't love their children, when I see mothers and fathers that have no uh, concern for anyone but themselves and they push their children off and they're unloved, it blows my mind. Because what level of selfishness does it take to suppress that natural storge love that God put in all of our hearts? Storge love can be extended outside of the family circle. It can be extended to those who are outside the natural family relationships. And a bond can occur that makes them as if they were family. You say, well, what does this? Usually it's a bonding that takes place in the midst of trials or common causes or common hurts or traumas that people have endured. People who go through similar losses, people who get together, they lost a spouse, they've lost a child. They, they have this common bond now where there's a storge love where they, they feel that they're family at this point. People who have gone through uh, plane crashes and you know uh, cataclysmic uh, events, storms and all of these things, they find themselves bonded to those people who endured the, that situation with them. We see this in soldiers who have endured the crucible of combat together, that they become a band of brothers, as it were, that they have a connection that can never be broken. That's the extension of storge past the family bonds where those who are outside of the natural family become family. Let's look at the last love t- today, and that's eros. Eros is the physical 
sensual, sexual love that God put between married people. Eros is a sexual love. It's a physical love. And it is a legitimate expression of love within the context of marriage. Eros gives us the English word erotic. And you might be in church going, I don't believe he just said that in church. (laughs) Well, if you don't understand that erotic has its place within the life of a Christian, you need to go home and read the Song of Solomon. Because Solomon is all about the celebration and the, the, the enjoyment of physical sexual love. You know, people get all, you know, they get a little uncomfortable. Now, it's amazing, you know, we'll watch things at home on our TVs that we shouldn't look at. But, you know, when we get in church and the pastor talks about sex, everybody, ah! <laughs> Sex is God's idea. God invented sex. Most of you are here because of it. I'll let you think about that one. but So there is a place for it within the context of marriage. Sex is not dirty. Sex is not something that defiles us within the context of marriage. Outside of sex, well, it makes the list of the works of the flesh. It says sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior. There it is. You know, so in its proper context, eros expressed is pleasing to God because it is from God. The way married couples express love is different than any other relationship. If you're married today, consider yourself blessed that you have an outlet for your sexual expression. And if you are not married today, and if you're single, I want to encourage you, get married. Get married. Don't don't listen to the world that says, oh, it's bad, it's a yoke, it's bondage, it's a ball and chain. Listen, it is the most exciting endeavor you will ever take in your life. It is a wonderful relationship that's fulfilling. And it's more than just physical. It's emotional. It's spiritual. It's having someone who has to put up with you no matter what. They have to listen to you snore and complain, not know how to choose a place to eat. And <laughs> Eros is that physical love between married people. It has its expression in the context of marriage. It's, if it's expressed outside of marriage, then it, it is a problem for us. Uh, the New Testament repeatedly warns against the destructive effects of immorality. And that's one of the reasons that Scripture says we should get married. So we have an outlet for that expression. And this generation is like, well, we're not, you know, marriage doesn't work, and we're just going to hook up, and we're just going to fornicate, and we're just, and you're just going to wind up in hell, unfulfilled, having led a miserable, unfulfilled life, and then you're going to have a Christless eternity because you chose the flesh over the spirit. Now, that was worth getting up for this morning. So Eros has a place. Husbands and wives love each other in a different way than any other relationship. I love my mother. I love my sister. I love my sisters in the Lord. I was saying some, you know, in first service, I said Tina, Kelly, some of us. You guys, I've known you since I'm 14 years old. I love my sisters in the Lord. But I love my mother. I love my sister. But I love my wife differently. And you might be thinking, it's a good thing, right? 
because it, it's a physical attraction. It's a, you know, we've been married for 31 years, and still she is my girl. She's still the one I look for. She's still the one who excites me, amen. And I paid her $100 to say I am too. But Eros has its place, and marriage is a good thing. The four words that paint a picture of what love is that we covered this morning are how human beings express love. We need to allow the agape of God to flow through us. Have you ever seen just a beautiful child of God that, you know, was so close to the Lord and had so crucified the flesh that the love of God just flowed through them? I was around a person that, you know, the, the love of God was in them so deep that literally you'd get around them and tears would begin to just drop. You say, what was that? That's, that's experiencing the agape. It's so rare. That phileo is important, that brotherly bond that we all need, that storge to love and celebrate family, to love our children, paternal love, and eros in its right context it's a beautiful expression of God. Do you know marriage is, a, marriage is an expression that mirrors the body of Christ? That's why Jesus is called the bride. So these four words help us to understand what love is and how to see the fruit of it in our lives. Love is no small thing. Some of us take the word lightly. But love is no small thing. It is both a commitment and a choice. I'm committed in marriage to love my wife, and I make the choice every day to love my wife. Sometimes you might wake up and not feel like you feel love, but love's not based on emotions. It's a choice and a commitment, and we need to understand that. Wayne Hudson, in his book, Many a Tear Has Fallen, gives this insightful description of love. Listen, he says, when someone says, I don't love you anymore, that will shake you to your core. And it's what caused me to search out for the true meaning of love. After many years, I arrived at the only definition that makes sense. Since God is love, we must compare our love to his, and our definition must be compared to him, or it will come up short every time. In the final analysis, love is a commitment with a beginning and no end. Love is a commitment with a beginning and no end. We should be careful ever saying a word like love unless we're willing to make that commitment in light of God's love. Let's bow our heads today. God willing, we are going to study these fruits of the Spirit. We're going to look more into love and to how we should express our love and to whom we should have love for. But Father, I pray today that us just learning the truth from Galatians 5, that there's a struggle in us that there's a war in us, that we, we have a part of us that wants relationship with you, and when we feel your presence, we're excited by it, but there's also a part of us, the flesh part of us, that pulls us away from you. Uh, Father, I pray today that anyone who has not made that decision to turn their back on the flesh and to begin to uh, 
walk in the Spirit through a relationship with Jesus Christ so that they can produce the fruit of the Spirit, I pray that today would be the day that they would come to you. In fact, if you're here today and you've never had an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ and you've never asked him to be the Lord of your life, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, you would be saved. It's real easy. We recognize Jesus is the Savior. We admit that we're sinners and we need a Savior. We accept him personally as our Lord and as our Savior. And what does he do? He comes into our lives. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. He forgives us. He forgives all our sins and writes our name down in what the Bible calls the Lamb's Book of Life so that our eternity is settled. It's not by our performance, by our works, by our good intentions. It's by our surrender to Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. He broke the power of sin. It's up to us as individuals to respond to the tug of the Holy Spirit and to surrender to him. If you want a clean slate and a fresh start today, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to know that heaven will be your final destination, I want you to simply slip up your hand today and say, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. How many people would like to do that today? hard for me to see. I see ushers moving. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize you're the Savior and that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose from the grave. I believe that your name is the name above every name. And I receive you today as my Savior and my Lord. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and give me the power to live a different life. From this moment forward, I belong to you. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time, welcome to the family of God. Let's welcome them today. God bless you. God bless you. You say, Pastor, you don't really believe a little prayer like that can change a life? Absolutely. A little prayer like that will change your trajectory of your life. It's a prayer that all of us start out with acknowledging Christ, confessing him. And you say, well, what do I need to do to grow as a Christian? The ushers put a little pack in your hand. Read the Bible, pray, keep coming to church. Find a church that preaches the Bible, not a religious place. If you don't know what church to go to, come see me after service. I have a few suggestions. But we love you here. We're we're glad that you're here. We want you to stay so you grow. Amen. But welcome to the family of God. Great decision today. Let's one more time welcome them in to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord.